Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today, we are talking about a subject that uh, can put the fear in some people, but it's going to be informative, and I have a great guest here to speak with me. It's Prostate Awareness Month. In studio with me, urologist Dr. Grant Redrow. He is with USMD Arlington. Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. How are you doing today? Doing excellent. All right. So you said that you don't do a lot of interviews, but you said you're feeling yeah, pretty good. First, first radio interview, uh, but you know, prostate uh, health and prostate cancer is a subject near and dear to my heart, so... I have plenty to talk about. I always like to get to know my interview subjects before we talk about what they're really here for. You're here to talk about prostate cancer, to kind of pull the lid off this subject and and give people good basic information. How did you become a doctor? So I grew up, my my father was a medical oncologist in Fort Worth. Um, He went to TCU, came back to practice. Uh, my family still lives in Fort Worth. I sort of went away for school and then um, kind of got drawn back to the area just because I was familiar with it and you know just love DFW. Um, so I've been here just over a year now in practice. Mm. And um, so, I, but I was just sort of you know grew up around the field. Couldn't really ever see myself doing anything else, or couldn't think of anything else that I would want to do. I was I was gonna say it's either or, either you yeah. you just kicked and screamed and didn't right. want to do it, or it was just something that appealed to you and you and you fell into it naturally. So that's what you're saying. Exactly. Happened. Yeah. I just sort of I just it always appealed to me, um, and I love what I do. I'm fortunate that I love what I do and have found a specialty that um, I really thrive in. Where did you go to school? You said you left for a while. I So I went to, I did undergrad in Atlanta at a, a school called Emory University. Mm. Uh, came back, I did medical school down in San Antonio, UT San Antonio. Went over to Houston for residency at UT Houston. I did an additional year of training in robotic surgery at uh, University of Southern California in LA. And so kind of hopped around a little bit, but I you know, spent the majority of my life in here in Texas. But all over the place, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Is that good for a doctor to do, to go yeah. to different places and be geographically all very different? A lot in Texas, right. but still, Dallas is different from San Antonio, from Houston, and then you talk about Georgia mm-hmm. and California, all very different. Yeah, so there's a lot of, you know, doctors, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do different things, and so... When you get experience at different places, you get exposure to a lot of different techniques, approaches, and so it's just sort of a you know a, a broad education, and uh, so training at different area, di- different locations is always a, a great experience. Are doctors the same everywhere, personality wise? Uh, or do you notice a big yeah, difference between? Yeah, yeah, I th- you know, I think I think so. I think that they're you may be surprised at the breadth of personalities in medicine. You know, um, you sort of have a, a preconception about what a doctor might be, but the training all over the place, everybody's really kind of the same. But every everywhere you go, there's so much variability that it's 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 kind of shocking. Have TV shows ruined the perception people have of doctors? 
No, I don't think so. I think that TV shows and sort of that mainstream, you know, they get every everyone will say, "Oh, they don't get it right," or blah. I was going to ask. Yeah. I'm not going to ask which. Like, I, I they, they they don't they don't get a lot of the finer details right, but that stuff doesn't really matter. I think a lot of what they get right is sort of the the interactions that people have in medicine, um, the sort of the problems that we face, obviously overly dramatized, but some of those shows are, they're, they're surprisingly accurate about sort of what the day to day life is like to be a doctor or to be in training or to be around, you know, working in a hospital even. Talk to me about what a urologist does and how you landed upon this yeah. as being your That's, specialty. I, I taught the last doctor that I spoke to, that was the thing that interested me, mm-hmm. how they find where they're going to go. Yeah, that's a great. That's kind of one of the biggest questions you get as a urologist. The two biggest questions: why, what is urology, and why would you pick that? I think you know, there's a lot of sort of preconception that it's sort of a a, a doctor who specializes in male genitalia, or sort of you know, and nobody really knows what do you do. And, it, 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 to you me, know, that is probably what would pop up the most. You right. hear that, and you go, oh, and you kind of you have a mental image of what that doctor does. Yeah. But I, I think most people were wrong. So I didn't know what a urologist did until I was about three quarters of the way through medical school. And so you know, you, I don't expect anyone on the outside of medicine, much less you know, majority of other doctors don't know what I do. Mm. Um, so a urologist deals with your, your, the urinary system, so, so from kidneys down. So kidneys, your ureters, bladder, and any sort of problems that are associated with those. We're primarily a surgical specialty, so if you have a kidney stone... If you have some sort of problem that's causing you to get, you know, urinary tract infections all the time, if you have blood in your urine, um, if you have uh, cancer of of any sort of urinary organ, we deal with all that stuff. And it's kind of an interesting mix because we see a lot of clinic patients, so it's sort of a hands-on clinic appointment heavy, you know, I may see between 30 and 40 patients on a full clinic day. In a day? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. But then you know, I'll spend a couple weeks, or sorry, a couple of days a week in the operating room. You know, I do major cases one day a week. We'll do cancer surgeries, um, other sort of reconstructive surgeries. Deal with kidney stones. You know, guys who can't pee. We do kind of the classic terp or rotor rooter. So all that sort of stuff. It's, you kind of glossed over that real quick. Yeah, a terp. So so a rotor rooter. Yeah. So so the so guys, if you have problems peeing as you get older. Uh huh. Um, Sometimes that's due to your your prostate becoming enlarged, and one of the treatments for that, you know, we have medicines that help tremendously, but sometimes the problem's too severe for medicine, so we go in with in a procedure where we use a camera to look inside the patient's bladder and prostate, and basically use a small instrument to shave away the excess growth. Yeah, it doesn't sound too appealing. Wait, um, this is your profession. You're a professional. Yeah, right. Is there no part of you that still goes like I hear this stuff and I, I just on the inside I'm like ah that's been it's been completely hammered out of me yeah <laughs> it's because you see I guess I see the, you know I see get to see the other side is that you people go through all this stuff and then they have a tremendous amount of relief afterwards so sure. they you know and a lot of people even though it sort of it sounds very sort of cringy and hard to deal with you know the 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 satisfaction that they get out of it sort of neg- you know it negates all right. that sort of negative kind of squeamishness and yes you know interestingly urology is actually not you know do you think is oh you're doing like urine all day right U- urology is actually one of the less sort of squeamish or sort of cring- cringe induced yeah less messy specialties because you're not you know i tell you you know like 
head head and neck doctors, ENT doctors deal with a lot of secretions and other unpleasantness. General surgeons, GI doctors, a lot of stuff out of the back end that's also very messy. So urology, you know, urine's generally pretty clean and like it's it's not as uh, sort of you know nose pinching, I guess, as you would is it, think. Is it kind of a slick thing for a young doctor to get into because your initial reaction to it is uh, I don't know about that, right? But then really, as you're saying, it's actually a great field to be a part of. So yeah, so it used to be there's sort of you know four or five specialty surgical specialties out there that were sort of a little bit under the radar for a long time. Uh, a lot of people have recognized that it's you know it's a, you make a good living, you have good hours. Your patients are generally doing very well, mm. and you're able to help them a lot. So and now it's a very competitive specialty to get into, just because of all those all those sort of positives. The word got out. It. Yeah, the word got out. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. This is pretty fascinating to me. I want to ask about surgery. So you are a surgeon, and you said that you do one major surgery. No, we generally do. Oh. So yeah, so I generally do. Right now, I do about two a week. You know, some guys, some of the busier people will do six a week and so that it's generally you know we may be removing tumors from the kidney we may be removing an entire kidney we may be removing someone's prostate uh removal of the bladder other sorts of things if you have scar tissue somewhere in your urinary system or you know there's a, there's a lot of different things you wouldn't even dream of possibly being problems that we go mm-hmm. in and fix major surgeries these sound like major yeah surgeries. so it's fully inv- invasive you know we're we're making you know a lot of times we don't have to make a big you know huge incision anymore we use what's called a uh, da vinci robot um it's a minimally invasive approach uh it uses it's at least we inflate your abdomen with some gas and then put in some small instruments that's connected to a device that we control through a, like a, a kind of like a big video game console and so we can take out your prostate through that. I can I can remove a tumor from the kidney, but leave the you know ninety five percent of the t- the kidney intact. How long do these procedures take? It, a major procedure like this, what yeah. roughly what are you looking at time wise? Uh, I'd say during about three hours, three to four hours. The amount of concentration that that takes for that amount of time, mm-hmm. it has to be exhausting. How do you feel once you're done? with doing something like that? Are you taxed physically and mentally? Mm, yeah. Do you do something? Do you have a ritual after you're done with that? Uh, so a lot of it's kind of like I- any sort of thing that you have to train for physically. So the more you do it, the more sort of stamina you build up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So doing after two big operations in a day, I'm you know pretty much shot, um, very tired. While you're doing the operation, there's a lot of sort of adrenaline, and you know you don't really have a lot of sensation of being tired. Uh, but then kind of once sort of that rush is over and you're kind of done for the day, then I'll just kind of go, you know, go home and have dinner, kind of crash on the couch and recover. You mentioned robotic surgery. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of this sounds really cool. Have you right. always practiced this? Were you one of the, did you, did you start early on this project? How did you get into robot surgery? You mentioned the Da Vinci robot is what you yeah, called it? Yeah, so that's the, that's the kind of the brand name for it. Um, surgical robots have been around for almost 20 years now. And it's something that kind of drew me into urology initially because I knew about them. They were doing them back when I was doing my sort of initial training around you know, 2010, 2012. Uh, it's sort of a cutting edge, cutting edge technique. Uh, it's continued to improve and mature over time. And it, you know, it's a, just a way, you know, we do surgeries now that patients would be in the hospital maybe a week for that they now will go home the next day. 
and you've seen that in your professional time. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, urology in general is improving at a pretty unbelievable rate, and then the robotic approach to surgery is advancing at a rate that is also you know un- kind of unbelievable. Professionally, is it hard to keep up, or is that what interests you about the field? Yeah, so keeping up is something that we ha- you have to you know really maintain, and you have to. I think the most successful guys out there are always sort of feeling that their skill set is not complete and that there's always stuff that we're saying, hey, how can we improve? What can we do better? How can we do things that we weren't previously able to do? And how are we able to do things better that we are doing now? Just to improve outcomes for patients, improve the doctor's experience operating, so all sorts of things. We have a constant state of self-improvement. Dr. Grant Redrow is a urologist for USMD Arlington. You can find them online at usmd.com. It is Prostate Awareness Month, and that is why you are here. Talk to me about what men should know about their prostates. Yeah. There's so, always a lot of jokes with right. this and that thing, but this is a serious yeah. topic. I, you know, it's kind of, I would start with, you know, what a lot of guys will come in and see me. They say, hey, my, my, primary care doctor drew a blood level, a PSA level. He said it was high. I said, I need to come see you. So, uh, and that's, that's pretty common. So I'll tell guys, you know, a prostate is a urinary organ. It makes some of the, the components of semen and it, it is a kind of a source of problem for guys throughout their life. One in nine men in the U S will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime. That equates to about 300 new patients getting diagnosed with prostate cancer a year. That's the most common cancer in men behind skin cancer. And about 30,000 people will die of prostate cancer a year. But a lot of people don't like to talk about it because it's sort of a taboo subject. It's also something, you know, it's kind of, it's not something that we really know about or educated about. But basically, the way you test for it is there's there's two ways. There's sort of the rectal exam that everybody kind of knows about, you know, from when you get older, well, the doctor kind of sticks a finger up your butt and feels your prostate, and way school or do feeling for is any unusual lumps or bumps or anything that feels abnormal. And then we also do what's called a PSA or a prostate-specific uh, antigen, which is uh, a blood test that looks at uh, a chemical that the prostate makes that sometimes prostate cancers will make more of so it can be elevated in those level in those cases. Do you want a high or a low PSA number? You want a low. You want a low. You want a low. So sometimes people with an enlarged prostate, with an infection, inflammation, and also prostate cancer, more PSA is released into the bloodstream and so you get a higher level. And so there's and there's all different types of tests. There's the classic PSA. They've identified since then some other types of PSA that we can test for to try to basically give you an idea. So say you come in and see me and you say, hey, my, my, my doctor says my PSA is a four and a half, which is a very common reason why people come and see what me. What should it be? So it, it depends on your age. And so four is the classic level that patients are told it should be that or less than. Generally for guys, you know, if you're in your 50s, it should be less than three. Um, and really shouldn't, and shouldn't be more than four until you're in your sixties or seventies. All right. So you come in and see me, my PSA is a little bit high. I take a feel of your prostate. Um, and then the next step is say, you know, 
you don't have any other family history of prostate cancer. You you know you don't have any urinary symptoms. Your prostate feels normal. And then the next question is, what do you do after that? And so there's other blood tests that we can do. We can do an MRI of your prostate. And this is all sort of leading to, hey, you know, if you ha- if you have some other suspicious things that make me think that may, you may you may have prostate cancer, we can do an office procedure called a prostate biopsy, where you, we do some local anesthetic to take some samples of your prostate tissue to get a, a true diagnosis of whether or not you do have prostate cancer. And that's something you can just do at the office. That's not a, a yeah. A big so deal. we can do them under general and or sort of some IV sedation, but I ninety percent of them, you know, my clinic in Arlington, we do about I think about two hundred and fifty to three hundred a month. Wow. And 90% of those are done under local anesthetic like you get at the dentist. Mm-hmm. It takes me five minutes or less to do one. I, I tell patients kind of go home, hang out on the couch the rest of the day. You're back at your normal job activities the next day. What ages should men start to pay attention mm-hmm. to their prostate? Yeah. So there's there's been some controversy about that, and that's sort of complicated, kind of outside the, the purview of this in interview. But so the American Urologic Association has a has recommendations, and we and we generally say if you're if you're less than forty, if younger than forty, you don't need your PSA screen, no matter what. If your father or brother or, or a relative has had prostate cancer, or there's a family history of prostate cancer, generally starting at forty, you want to start having your rectal exam and your PSA checked. For most guys, the recommendation is to start doing PSA screenings or have a talk with your primary care doctor or urologists about checking your PSA and doing the rectal exam starting about age 55. Another good thing that I think people should be aware of, regardless of age, what should people be paying attention to yeah. in their own body to know if they even need to bring it up to a general practitioner yeah, even before question. they get to you? Great question. So everybody asks me, what sort of symptoms do I have? Or people that I diagnose with prostate cancer will say, I don't have any symptoms. The majority of the time, people people don't have any symptoms if they have prostate cancer. Having symptoms from prostate cancer generally means that you may have a more advanced form, but the prostate cancer a lot of times is so small and so localized that it doesn't have any effects on your prostate, on your urinary habits, on anything. It's completely silent. I'm going to stretch my medical terminology. Yeah. Are you saying that it doesn't metastasize much? It so or cancer? It, no, it can. Yeah, it definitely can. And so, but usually that's the first physical sign someone will have is from from, from a metastasis. So if they may, I've seen patients who come in with bone pain, mm-hmm. which is sort of aches and pains in your joints or your bones. Um, they may have sort of other symptoms, weight loss. Um, sometimes advanced prostate cancer can can cause urinary issues, but this is usually late in the game where sort of things have gone beyond where we can cure that patient. That's so, why screenings exactly. and going to your doctor right. is so important. You may yeah. not be experiencing anything wrong with you. It's mm-hmm. something you need to stay on top of to make sure it doesn't start. Correct. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, so screening. So we think, you know, the majority of men out there should at least have a conversation with their physician, or if you have questions about it, come in and talk to your urologist uh, or talk to your primary care doctor. Say, hey, I'm interested in this. You know, what's what? What do you think? What you know? Because having a PSA drawn, there's really not a lot of downsides to it. I think you know, ten or fifteen years ago, we were doing too much surgery for prostate cancer um, and overtreating it. But now we've gotten much more refined on on who we're treating, and we're much more you know refined in who we're recommending biopsies for, and all sorts of things. The the, the field has changed 
completely in the last five to 10 years. Are you saying that the way you treat it has changed? Because you were saying that you're maybe doing surgeries too much. How, so, yes. what, what is the difference between then and now? So it, we have a better understanding of, of what prostate cancer needs to be treated. So not all prostate cancer actually needs to be treated right away. So there's there's kind of three different classifications, kind of low, medium, and high-risk prostate cancer. And these are, it's three different sort of groups uh, that are at risk for the cancer spreading or coming back after treatment. Um, that low-risk group, which is a lot of what was being treated five, 10 years ago, mm. those can actually, those patients can actually just be watched with uh, certain protocols called active surveillance. Every couple years, we seem to find new groups of those patients who seem to be safe to stay on active surveillance, who don't need to have surgery, who don't need to have radiation. They just need to meet with their urologist regularly uh, and probably have a, a repeated prostate biopsies. That's really interesting. What is the maintenance for them? So yeah. what you're saying is a person can be relatively healthy. Mm. They have cancer, right? but it's not at a stage yet where it's a good idea to exactly. do anything about it. What do those people do to keep themselves healthy? Yeah. So that's another. So a, a lot of patients will ask me that exact question when they get the diagnosis, and I say, "You want to be on active surveillance." Is I what never, I, I never even thought about. It's, it's really the only cancer, one of the only cancers that you can do this for, mm. and so that's why people come in and they kind of do a double take, and they're like, "What do you, you know, what do you mean? I have cancer; it needs to be treated." Because for basically every other cancer out there, you need to do something for it. But for prostate tomorrow, cancer, like yeah, it has exactly. to start immediately. Exactly. Yeah. So, but a lot of times we'll kind of, I have a, you know, I'll have a long discussion about, you know, that we're not just ignoring this cancer. We are doing things. We're going to do repeated PSA checks regularly. Uh, we're going to do regular rectal exams to feel the prostate regularly. There's other testing, like the, M, the prostate MRI that we, we do at my facility has given us a tremendous amount of data. And then usually, you know, in six months a year, we're going to repeat that that prostate biopsy. And every so often, every one to two years after that, probably going to get another prostate biopsy. For people with severe forms, is it largely surgery? Mm -hmm. Is it radiation? Yeah. Is it both? What normally happens for somebody that has a serious case of prostate right. cancer? So all, all three of those are, are, are good options. And one of the interesting things about prostate cancer is completely individualized, really, between patients. And so... Everybody's different. You know, there are prostate cancers out there that can be cured solely by surgery or radiation. Um, surgery involves complete removal of the prostate. Radiation nowadays is generally what's called external beam, where you go in for about 40 treatments. You lay on a table for about 10 minutes. They use a, a, a device that basically sends an invisible beam into your prostate and kills the cells and the cancer cells. Patients with a higher risk, a cancer that is you know, may have a 20 to 30% more chance of spreading or coming back. We may recommend, you know, surgery up front followed by radiation or, you know, just radiation with sort of long-term what's called hormone therapy or medicine to block the patient's testosterone. So everybody really gets a completely individualized treatment plan. They, you know, after the diagnosis, they may meet with a cancer surgeon like myself. And I also recommend that they meet with a radiation oncologist who specializes in that radiation therapy, just so you kind of have a good sense that you feel that you're well informed about the the treatment decision that you're making. You know, prostate cancer is slow growing, and is uh, something that you know you want to kind of weigh all your options uh, and talk to people. I tell all my patients that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, prostate cancer is extremely common. And so 
once people start going around and saying, talking to their friends, talking to family, saying, hey, I have prostate cancer, they're always shocked about how many people that they know, the guy next door, the guy across the street, somebody- The a, numbers a, you a, gave, a, a it's good, common. Yeah. So a good friend of theirs may have it, and they just, it, guys don't want to talk about it. And so, but once they start to talk about it, it's like kind of dominoes falling, and they say, hey, hey, hey I've- I just I didn't realize I had five friends with prostate cancer. Now I feel better and I feel informed. I have learned more about this than I have ever known today mm-hmm. in this half yeah. hour conversation. I actually feel a lot better about it. I had a great fear of just this area. It's a black of box. Pros- yeah, of prostate yeah. cancer in general. I really thought that this was a really bad thing to get. I'm not saying it's yeah. uh, nobody it wants prostate cancer. Yeah. Nobody wants that. But with what you're saying, it's treatable. We can stay on top of it. Yeah. I feel better with just the basic knowledge that you have given me today. Right. Then that's one of the reasons why I really recommend screening. You know, talk to your primary care doctor uh, or find a, find a urologist in your area to just go in and talk to, talk about being screened. It's a, it's a cancer that, if caught early, you know, is going to be almost always treatable. And it, it's something that, you know, goes from having a major impact on your life to something that, like we said, you know, can do something to be watched if caught early enough. I don't even know if there's an answer to this. Mm-hmm. How do men keep their prostates healthy? Is there a way to do, is there a way yeah. to avoid prostate cancer? So there's not a way to avoid prostate cancer. They're used to about, and a lot of, I guess I'll start, I'll also say a lot of people ask me, what can I eat? What can I drink? What are sort of dietary stuff that I can do, you know, before or after I get my diagnosis the biggest thing that we're finding to prevent not just prostate cancer, but but all cancers, all sorts of health issues in general is uh, how much you weigh. And, and obesity seems to be the largest modifiable, meaning something that you can affect yourself, influencer on, on cancer, even more so than smoking, most likely. Wow. So obesity has a huge impact on patients getting cancer that we're just starting to realize now. Um, so, you know, a healthy diet, regular exercise, kind of the classic stuff, you know, nothing new there. Um, if you have prostate cancer, you know, unfortunately there's nothing, there's nothing you can eat or drink that's going to, you know, help it, but it's still the same thing. You know, if you're, you know, if you're overweight, you know, getting down to a healthy weight, um, if you're a smoker, stop smoking, kind of, you know, eat a good balanced diet. Try and be healthy. Yeah, basically. Yeah. We are... Already running up against it. I got to ask you before we go, how do we make sure that I don't get a kidney stone? I have a massive fear of kidney stones. I do too. How do I make sure that I don't have to go through that? So there's no, I wish there was a surefire way to, to prevent it, but the best thing you can do is stay hydrated, especially here in Texas, hot climate. You All know, right. During the summer, we get people, you know, you know, constantly with kidney stones a lot of people, the issue is they don't, they're not drinking enough water. And so you want to drink about two or three liters of water a day, especially in the, in the warmer months, and try to you know, not avoid, but you know, you minimize your, your, your caffeinated drinks, iced tea, stuff like that, you know, sodas. You really want to bias yourself from drinking much, you know, plain old water. And so the better hydrated you stay, the less likely you are to have a kidney stone. Healthy diet, don't smoke, drink a lot of water. Yeah, ground, good ground, ways. Yeah, not, good ways to, right. to stay out of your office. It's stay out of any doctor's office, you know, and that's just you know. It, and I think that's kind of the thing. It's been, 
hammered into everyone's head for you know decades now about not smoking, eating right, all this stuff. But it's really shocking. Now we're seeing how much of an effect that can have on, on reducing your risk of all cancers and in, in just heart attacks. Basically, anything that bad that can happen to you, the healthier you are, the less likely all that stuff is to happen. And the longer and happier of a life you'll have with you know with your family. If people have questions, if people have worries, what's the best way for them to get checked up? So yeah, so that's I think a lot of guys have this question: Where do I go? What do I do? You know, talk to your primary care doctor. If you don't have a primary care doctor, find one in your area. I work with USMD. We have uh, over 200 physicians all across DFW. Um, but you know, so if you if you don't have somebody, find a doctor, and just start the conversation. You know, a lot of patients, it is sort of a a black box. They're not really comfortable talking about it. But I mean, this is my life. This is what I do, twelve hours a day, every day. And so you you can't tell me or ask me any question that will surprise me or that I haven't heard or that uh, you should feel embarrassed about. Um, so ask away. You know, the more that you know, the better you're going to do and get screened early and often. Demystifying mm-hmm. urology issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not as mysterious unfortunately as <laughs> it sounds. Uh it's kind of, I'm just basically a plumber. <laughs> you know, essentially. Fair enough. Dr. Grant Redrow, a urologist with USMD Arlington. You can find them online at usmd.com. Once again, it is Prostate Awareness Month. So find a doctor, do something for your health today. It was great speaking with you. I you really too. appreciate yeah, your time here today. I would love to have you back, man. I'd love to come back anytime. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.